Welcome everyone to another episode of the Veterans and Ag Podcast, brought to you by AGD Consulting. I'm your host, Mike DeSop, and here we explore the stories and insights from the military veteran and supporter communities who are leading the way for vets in agribusiness, ag tech, and agripreneurship. We swap stories, talk ag, and show how the grassroots nature of the ag community can be a natural fit for the military veteran. Our guest this week is Nicole Kleegs Burns, a farm loan chief at USDA Farm Service Agency. At the USDA, Nicole directs and advises on farm loan programs administered through service centers throughout Alabama and works directly with farmers to help them navigate the loan programs offered through the USDA. She was fortunate enough to pursue two dreams at the same time, a career in the medical field through military service and agriculture. And she still gets to pursue both of those today, where she serves as a reservist in the Army and a full-time farm loan chief with USDA. There's so much information in this episode about the types of loans available through the USDA, applicant criteria, flexible repayment options, etc. All seasoned, if you will, with Nicole's personal advice and experience. If you're a beginning farmer or in the midst of family succession planning and transition, you won't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned at the end, where she describes another element of her career and family life that makes her accomplishments that much more impressive. Um, I grew up in rural Georgia between, uh, <laughs> between a cotton field and a, a cow pasture, but knew nothing about ag. And so growing up, I had aspirations to be in uh, the medical field. And that's kind of what my track was up until my senior year in high school. And at that time, my vice principal, he was an agronomy major. And well, he was an agronomy undergrad. And so he convinced me that I could get everything I needed as prerequisites for medical school through agriculture. And so I took him up on it. <laughs> How did he make that argument to you? Like, what, what was his rationale there? So he told me that I was not going to get any scholarships for pre-med. <laughs> In agriculture, okay. there were a lot of scholarships. And so I ended up being an 1890s. National Scholar for USDA, um, which afforded me the opportunity to go to school for free. And during that time, I interned with USDA and I was converted permanently uh, upon graduation. Okay. It, the, the scholarship was from the USDA or was it from the Army? Help, help me maybe separate those, those things out. <laughs> it was from the USDA. So, so my, my ag and military path kind of went concurrently. So okay. I, um, I received the USDA 1890 national scholarship in 2004. And so I started, um, at Fort Valley state university, which is an eight, 1890 land grant institution in Georgia. And then in 2006, um, I decided to contract as an ROTC cadet. Okay. All right. 
how did you decide on the army? So the army was always in me. So my grandfather is a, uh, or was a um, Purple Heart recipient in the Korean War. Okay. Okay. My father and all of his brothers are veterans. My brother is a veteran. And so always looking to be a trailblazer, I figured, hey, the first woman in the family needs to be in the military. <laughs> <laughs> so it was never a question for you. Like these other family members, your grandfather, your brother, they were all army. So they were all army, except for my brother. My brother was a Marine or is a Marine. Uh, you know how y'all are about that's that. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Once a Marine, always a Marine. Right. And so, and we never, we never had ROTC in call in, in high school. And so right. it was something that I had always wanted to do. And then everything just lined up. I wanted to pursue a medical career when I went to college. And so my senior year, you get accessions when you're in ROTC. So you get to rank um, what branches you want. And so usually as a science major, Chemical core always tries to take us. So I put that last on my list. And um, I was able to find a unit because the, the good part about the reserves is you can locate a unit and then that unit has a spot, then you can easily move into that. And so I was able to find a unit that had a medical service officer position available. And so it really, it really married my world and let me get the best of both worlds because I was in agriculture as well as getting a piece of that medical side that I wanted. When did you develop a passion for agriculture? I didn't think being a farm loan officer was okay. where my passion lied and, and where my career was taking me or should take me. And so when I, as I was training to be a farm loan officer, I was looking for every opportunity to find something elsewhere. And um, I had the joy of getting out of school in 2008 and we know how the job market was then, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. so after, after about a year or so, you know, it was just, it was just like, it just dawned on me. Like I connected with the mission and realize exactly why I was supposed to be there. I guess if I do some introspection, I'll probably, there's probably a person that I ran into that made that light come on. But I do remember vividly that I felt connected to the mission of the agency um, because with the Farm Service Agency, what we do is, um, especially in farm loans, uh, some folks call us the lender of first opportunity and some people call us the lender of last resort, right? And so regardless, <laughs> you know, we are there to help people that have a dream to get into, get into farming that, were, that could not get that opportunity elsewhere or we're helping somebody or some family that would not be able to hold on to their farm if it weren't for us. And so... To me, that is very powerful. And once that hit me, and <laughs> I, I haven't stopped. I, <laughs> do, do you think there's a connection between uh, the work you did in the medical space and the 
the passion for people that that you know may or may not have uh, you know kind of imbued in you. Did that sort of help you maybe understand this mission with the the farm credit loan in the USDA group? I think all of it because it's public service. Um, okay. It's kind of it's kind of led me um, down a similar path. Um, connection between the military experience and mm-hmm. my position within farm loans. I, I guess if anything, it would be, um, you know, the, the skills that you learn um, right. in the military, you know, I think that those have helped me to progress in my career. I think uh, decision-making uh, process, problem-solving skills. I think uh, a lot of those learning to deal with all types of people <laughs> because, you know, they say the military is a microcosm, right? And so when you go to all these different rural communities, they are, they are very different in their cultures. And, you know, I've had the, the privilege of working in pretty much all over Georgia, um, all over Alabama, and some of North Carolina, and all of those cultures are very different. Um, and so I think the military certainly helps you to be able to assimilate in any, <laughs> any environment. What, what specifically did you do in the medical field? in the in the army so i am still a reservist um okay okay i um i started off as an executive officer in a forward surgical team so it's the non the only non-medical person on a forward surgical team Forward surgical team is about a 20-man team um that performs uh, immediate surgery life limit eyesight and so after my time with the Ford surgical team, I went to a brigade and worked at staff. So I've, I've served in several different positions in operations. And then I have recently moved to civil affairs. So I'm, I'm learning about how the medical role um, applies in civil affairs. Did you, did you deploy with the forward surgical team? I did. I deployed to Afghanistan. Okay. What time frame was that? So we were in Afghanistan from February of 2011 until December of 2011. Okay. Where specifically in Afghanistan were you? Bob Sharana. So I'm not familiar with it. Where is that? It's about 40, it's about 45 miles west of Pakistan border. Oh, okay. Okay. So you were sort of way out there, alone and unafraid in some respects. <laughs> okay. Can you, do you, you know, I, I think that's an interesting, you've got an interesting perspective there in that, um, you know, being the sort of only non-medical person in a forward surgical team in Afghanistan in 2011, I can only imagine that uh, 
you know, you had experiences that you've sort of carried forward with you today. Is there one that stands out to you? So on a Ford surgical team, um, if you're not familiar with it, if you- I'm not, ever you can't tell by my questions. <laughs> if you ever experience it, it's a different culture. So, you know, I think the first thing that I'd learned and, and it's very cliche, but teamwork makes the dream work. So when you go to a Ford surgical team, like I said, there's 20 man team. So your Lieutenant colonels who are surgeons are putting up tents, just like your specialists who are medics, because that's what the job requires. And so I think not only in that, you know, that being in that particular unit, but the reserve as a whole, you know, you, you look past rank in a lot of situations because in the military, you get so tied up in rank that um, that's all you, that's all you focus on, but there's so much more to individuals. Um, we have, you know, we have specialists that have their master's degrees that are, you know, they may have a, a totally different career on the outside. And so just learning that everybody on the team mm -hmm. brings something special to the team and we need everybody to put everything they have into the team for us to be successful. You, you mentioned mobilizing, is that different than deployment or is the, is the, are those words the same in that context? So, you know, I don't know what the, the definitions of each, but for me, what did it mean for you? For me, deploying is going overseas and mobilizing right. is going stateside. And so I did have the pleasure of commanding um, an urban augmentation medical task force to uh, New York City in 2020. No kidding. Uh, sort of at the tail end, was it in support of the pandemic? It was March of 2020. Yeah. Okay. And what did that look like? What was, what, what were, what were you doing there? So <laughs> people, you know, throw around the phrase, you know, building a plane in flight. Uh, <laughs> it really was building a plane in flight. You know, <laughs> we didn't know what, uh, what COVID really was. We didn't know what care for COVID was really going to look like. What we did know was we see, received a call on a Saturday telling us they needed us to report for active duty by Tuesday. <laughs> and, oh so, and so, you know, when we get there, the, the mission continually changed. So we had a, a, a probably about a three-day um, pre-deployment, um, pre-deployment activities that we had to complete. And so um, during that time, things evolved. Even once we got to New York, things, <laughs> things evolved uh, as we were there. But we ended up uh, having, to me, it was, a, it was a great mission. We had a dual mission initially. We had half of uh, the soldier, my soldiers were in the Javits Convention Center and half of the soldiers were at Elmer's Hospital in Queens. 
And then once the Javits Convention Center closed, all of uh, the soldiers moved over to the um, Elmer's Hospital in Queens. What was that like for you? Aside from the uncertainty of what the mission may be tomorrow, was it, I mean, g- g- give me a sense of what that felt like kind of on a day-to-day basis at really the heart of the pandemic. So, you know, s- starting out, it was just, it was really surreal. You know, you're going on this unprecedented mission uh, because, you know, we usually don't get the opportunity to work stateside and to be able to support <clears throat> support support you know civilian stateside so it was really it was really great to to have that experience you know i think <laughs> i think growing through the motions during the time it was all a blur cuz everything was just it was just happening so fast um but but ultimately you know we built built some really great relationships we saved a lot of lives. Um, it, it was it was really good. So when we were at the at Elmer's Hospital, we were following the civilian guidance. So you know we were augmenting their support. So wherever they needed us, you know that's where we were. We um, you know we brought pharmacists with us to integrate into the pharmacy. We brought respiratory therapists. Um, that was a huge shortage that they needed. Um, we had nurses and doctors and um, occupational therapists. So, you know, we had a package of different specialties and we just fit in wherever we could to provide the best support that we could. Got it. Did, did you get sick during that time period? I did not. That's great. That's why I tell people, I know masks work, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So what happens with your your job at the USDA when that mobilization call occurs? Do you just tell them, hey, I got to (laughs) go? How's that work? So usually in the reserves, we don't leave that quickly. Usually, you know, we know several months ahead of time. Um. Thankfully, during this time, the world kind of stopped, so it it wasn't that, I think, I don't think it was that big of a drain on the agency, but the USDA is very supportive of the military. There's also the Silver, if I can talk today, the, 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 service, the service member Civil Relief Act that um, requires the that requires uh, your employer to hold your job while you're performing duty. And Got so um, in addition to that, you know, we get military leave and, and things of that nature. But my job has always been supportive of um, my military service. Uh, I deployed, like I said, in 2011, <clears throat> I deployed again in 2016, and then I mobilized in 2020. Wow. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, they've this, that's not the first time they've been through that process with you for sure. Cause right. you were at the, you, you've been at the USDA through both deployments and the mobilization. Correct. That's correct. Okay. The, the USDA farm agency uh, or farm servants agency is the 
the uh, kind of lender of first opportunity or the lender of last resort, right? Why, why do you think they can operate or why did they choose to operate really on, that's a big range of clients. How or why are they structured in a way that that works for them, in your opinion? Um, I think because if, if no one else gives you a chance, you're going to do all you can to prove to them that you can make it work. And so a lot of times people think like, you don't look at credit score. How, how can you make good loans? Like, <laughs> and, and I think it's because of that foundation. Well, first off, you know, farmers are hard workers. And so most of the time their issues are outside of their control, which is why we're here. You know, they can't, they can't help what happens with the weather. We get disaster after disaster. They can't have, they can't help when there is a, uh, something going on in the market, when there are trade wars, you know, there's so much that's outside of their control and you know, they just need that leg up sometimes. And, you know, even though it seems like a risky population we're dealing with, our delinquency rates aren't high above any commercial lender. Who's your ideal client? So our ideal client is the beginning farmer. As, okay. as, as the age of farmers rises, we need new fresh blood <laughs> farming. And so, you know, th those are the ones that we're targeting whenever we do outreach. We, we want people to be interested in farming. We want people to be interested in feeding the world. We want people to be interested in feeding themselves. You know, if, if COVID didn't show anything, it definitely showed the issues with the supply chain and how important it is to be able to supply, supply your basic needs locally. Does, that, does the fact that a, a potential client to you all um, has military service, does that weigh into the application process? It does. So, you know, sometimes we do have individuals that may get frustrated because they think that they're automatically eligible for our loans because they're veterans. And that's not the case, but being a veteran does um, benefit individuals. So, a couple things, um, our operating loans, they have term limits. We're not here to provide credit forever. We're considered a temporary source of credit because we want okay. you to get to the point where you can go to a commercial lender. We're here to get you started. We're here to help you out if you have something bad happen, but we want you to be able to eventually go to commercial credit. And so with mm -hmm. those term limits, you can only close a loan with us for seven calendar years. But as a veteran, if you get micro loans with us, those do not count against that limit. Hmm. Um, another thing is, okay. 
no, no, no. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Another Go ahead. thing is preference when there's limited funding. So if you've been in America for the past, I don't know, 20 years, <laughs> you know that from fiscal year to fiscal year, uh, we typically end up on a continuing resolution. And so our budget is based off of, um, is based from fiscal year to fiscal year. So if there is an issue where there is not funding available or there is limited funding available, then veterans get a preference to be funded hmm. over those that are not veterans. And then another is um, our farm ownership. So to purchase real estate with the farm loan programs, which is the opportunity to get up to $600,000 to purchase real estate or purchase a farm, you have to have three years out of the last 10 years managing a farm or participating in the business operations of a farm. One of those years can be substituted with military service. Hmm. Okay. So there's, there's lots of sort of follow-up questions in there. First, for those of us who aren't as educated in this process, what's a microloan? Okay, so a microloan is a loan that is up to $50,000. Um, and okay. it is uh, a simpler application process than a regular loan. So our loans, our operating loans can go up to $400,000. Farm ownership loans can go up to $600,000. But the simpler process or the simpler loan is the micro loan, which goes up to $50,000. Besides it being a simpler uh, process, uh, another benefit of it is the security for those loans, um, if their term loans are one-to-one. Uh, -one. So pretty much if you purchase a tractor, the only security that's required is that tractor. It sounds like one of the evaluation criteria that you use prior to um, lending to a veteran farmer or a new farmer is um, the management, the proven management of a farm and or some combination of that management plus military service. What else are you using to you know, basically qualify that new candidate to be eligible or ready to receive alone so um credit history we don't look at credit okay. score but we look at credit history um because one of the benefits of our program is we do look at things that are outside of your control um if you know if you have high medical debt because of something and if you lost mm. your job um if you had a temporary setback because of covid you know we do look at those things that um aren't reflected on your credit report. So, you know, we can see, hey, you got a lot of these late payments here. It shows that you were um, 30 days past due 10 times. You know, can you, can you talk to me about this? What was going on here? So we do have that flexibility for that. Um, aside from that, most of the, most of our, our credit requirements are, are pretty, you know, generic. You know, you got to, you have to, um, you can't be delinquent on a federal debt. You, <laughs> you, um, you have to be um, a US citizen or you have to have um, documentation showing that you'll be in 
the states for the life of the loan. Um, I'm trying to think. The rest of them are so basic. It's like they're usually mm. you know, they're usually not they're usually not any concern. I would have expected a computer to tell you or this applicant that yes, they're approved or no, they're not approved, or you know, aside from maybe some general questions, but it doesn't seem like that's the the flavor of this. It feels like there's a very human element to it that perhaps you all that maybe that differentiates you all from a bank of America or, you know, one of the other made maybe more traditional lending institutes. Am I in the ballpark in that assumption or. There is. So it's, it's a very hands-on process. You know, we're, we're required to do a farm assessment with every loan. And so a part of that farm assessment um, is, is information that we can only get by talking to the applicant. Um, you know, we even go as far as wanting to know about transition plans, like, because once again, farmers, the age of farmers is steadily increasing. So, you know, what, who, who's going to take over after you finish? What, what's the next step for this farm? Are there, are there um, loan opportunities to lend directly into that succession transition? So I, I, I wouldn't say there's a particular loan program for that, but you know, the, any of our, any of our loan programs can assist with purchasing the real estate. You know, one of the biggest things when you're talking about a new and beginning farmer is purchasing real estate is the down payment. And so mm -hmm. we offer a hundred percent financing. So, you know, it, it, it really doesn't get better than that. Right. <laughs> yeah. What about, uh, I, I want to come back to the financing piece, but before I lose this thought, what about, uh, farmers that are looking to maybe transition to organic where they have to let the ground lay fallow or they've got other uh, improvements that they need to make, um, is there support or loan considerations around organic transition, but then also perhaps regenerative transition? Our loan programs can be whatever you need them to be for the most hmm. part. You know, if you have a situation, we don't have a loan that's specifically for transitioning, but we do have options that can assist with that. So for repayment terms, if you know that you aren't going to be able to produce anything for three years, um, we can set up your repayment terms where you pay interest only for the first three years. And then in year four, um, you begin a regular installment. So those options are available. It's just a matter of talking to your loan officer and letting them know what your needs are. This question comes up a lot in, in these conversations that I have, and I'm, I'm curious as to your personal perspective uh, based on your experience. When you have a new veteran farmer that maybe doesn't have um, a whole lot of agricultural experience, I realize that there are some requirements to that, but let's say those, those requirements are met in a very basic way. How do you think about or, or how, how would you recommend a new farmer go about 
beginning agriculture, would you advise that they manage only first? Would you advise that they rent first? Would you advise that they lease first as opposed to going straight out and purchasing? What's your take on that from experience or just personally speaking? I definitely wouldn't say to purchase first. <laughs> I okay. think the okay. first thing, the first thing I would say is to find a mentor. Um, and so if you find a mentor, they can help set you up for success because there are so many nuances in the business like there is with any business. And it's extremely important to figure out what those are in your area. And then just like in any um, business, you know, it's about relationships. And so hopefully if you have a mentor, they've built those relationships in your community that you can also build upon. Um, the next thing I would tell you to do is go to your local extension office. So Cooperative Extension has a plethora of resources there. Um, and if you go to your local co Cooperative Extension office, you'll probably see Farm Service Agency in the same building. So you can stop by and, and see what we have available. Um, so steps, I'd say mentor, I'd say rent before you, before you buy. <laughs> I, think, mm -hmm. I think part of the premise behind having the three years uh, of experience requirement for purchasing real estate in our program is because we wanna make sure that individuals know what they're getting into and you know, don't decide less than a year in that, hey, this farming thing's not for me. So maybe if they try it out a little bit first, then they'll know if it's the direction they wanna move in. Have, have you ever had any instances where you've denied an application just not just, but have you had instances where you've denied an application based on the fact that you or the agency doesn't feel like this applicant is, is really understanding what they're getting themselves into? Or is that denial more formalized than that? So all of our denials are formal. Um, if you received a denial from us, um, first, you should receive a phone call before you receive a letter. <laughs> and then once you receive the letter, it should outline, you know, why you're denied and the regulation behind your denial and then give you appeal rights to move forward if you, if you want reconsider reconsideration, mediation, or an appeal. Um, I'd say that none of our denials should be based off of our feelings. <laughs> the denial should be based off of sound regulation that's outlined okay. um you know do can can we make a loan where we sometimes feel that it might not be the best thing yes but hopefully through you know those conversations like i said we're doing that farm assessment so hopefully through those conversations we're pulling out the information that we need you're getting connected with the individuals that you need to get connected to and we are doing our best to set you up for success. 
you'd mentioned that earlier about that being kind of a differentiating factor of you all versus a traditional lending is that those there's term limits to that, right? It's not just a door you can keep walking in and out of. Right. Um, are, are there, are there specific criteria or considerations or you, anything else that Alabama veterans, for example, should be aware of when they're looking at, uh, farm purchasing loan applications and those types of things, state specific things that they should be aware of. Um, no state specific things. Um, okay. I think, so something we do get caught up on is credit elsewhere because credit elsewhere, explain that. Yes. So that's another eligibility criteria. So our loans are for those that can't get credit elsewhere. And so sometimes we'll have individuals come in, you know, and if they're financial, they're in a good financial place that they have, you know, if they meet the underwriting criteria of local lenders, then we would have to request a denial letter. Now, it's not a requirement with the application, but if we, if we receive the application and we see, you know, you have over a 700 credit score, you have um, good profit margin, you have um, equity, uh, you know, some of those things, then we may require you uh, get a denial letter from a local lender. Why would they, they would go to you all instead of a local lending agency because your rates would be better? Than That's correct. A, okay. Okay. And we're all not right, in the that, business of competing with local lenders. Got it. No, so that, we that are makes sense. in the business of helping people get into farming. Right. Or deal with unexpected or unintended situations. It sounds like, Correct. right. Those sort of, th those are sort of the two maybe primary areas where you all tend to intentionally differentiate yourselves. It sounds like. And a lot of times, like I said, we do hundred percent financing. So somebody can have, you know, great credit, have assets, um, but still not have the down payment that's needed to purchase the property and so um you know they they would still be able to come to us for assistance how how much if if any is the is the agency using ag tech or ag technology uh specifically in verifying collateral so if there's a cattle producer who's saying i have 200 head of cattle and i'm going to use this as as asset or collateral for this next loan do they use drones perhaps or satellites to confirm that those cattle are in fact present and on the property as stated? Is that something you all employ? So we're still old school and we're riding out to the farms and counting Got cows. It. But I will Got tell it. you, we do have a farm loan manager that has been certified. And so we are looking at how we can make that the way ahead because- yeah. It really is. It really, it really will benefit the agency as a whole if we can, if we can move forward with that. And why not Alabama be a pilot since we have a pilot? <laughs> to 
No, it, I ask because it's it, it's a it's a large part of my day job. Sensors and applications in animal health and plant, and you know, one of the things that's come up recently in conversation, you know, with with Grammar Bank or the farm credit agency groups or you know American National, these kinds of agencies who are saying, man, is there a, a more efficient way that we can verify collateral and help underwriting by using cameras in poultry houses or you know drones or satellites instead of having to send an adjuster out there to manually count. I think there is, but again, I come from that, I come to that conclusion from a biased perspective. But it sounds like, you know, you 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 don't feel all that differently, perhaps. Oh, I totally agree. I think it's it's the way ahead and it's it's what we should be looking to. Um, it's a great risk management tool because it, it honestly, it's difficult for us to, to make it out to every farm to make sure the collateral is there. So if there's something that's more efficient or something that's, you know, running behind the scenes, <laughs> why right. not? How would you go about internal to the agency kind of percolating that idea? Like, could do you have, would you have means or methods by which you could start to generate that discussion internally? Well, yeah, I think, it, you know, right now we're working on improving our customer service. Like that is our focus on how do we improve customer service. And if, if John Farmer doesn't have to get off work for us to come out there and he ride us around his pasture to count his calves or cows, then that will improve customer service. I want to be mindful of your time, Nicole. I, got, I have two final questions. Um, okay. In the in the last you know nine or twelve months or so, what have the trends been like in terms of the quantity of applications? Uh, have they been going up? Are they going down? Have they plateaued? And why do you think that trend is presenting the way that it is? So over the last couple of months, they've been going up. They were going down and plateaued for a while last year, which I think was a lot due to the high expenses. Um, Interesting. And so, you know, I think, you know, with our target audience, you know, we're, we're trying to get new and beginning farmers. And so I guess that speaks volumes about those that are interested in farming because they realize that expenses are high. So it was yeah. not a good time to get into, into the market. And so, um, you know, that has turned around over the last couple of months. Our loan volume has um, increased. And, and so, you know, I, I, I'd say my, my main reason I think is because, you know, people are feeling more comfortable about the market. Um, expenses have, are starting to level out. Um, income has been there, but, <laughs> but when you're paying more <laughs> yeah. to make more, it doesn't, you know, that net profit margin. Um, and so I, I think that people are seeing what's happening with interest rates. So I think it's, it's mm -hmm. more of what's going on in the world that are making people feel more comfortable to say that now is a good time to, to jump in. 
Well, look, Nicole, I, I, I really, I truly appreciate your time. It's such a fun conversation. I mean, I think you've got a lot of interesting perspectives from, you know, the agronomy part of plant technology and, and biotech to the medical to, you know, both international deployment, stateside deployment. You kind of work in this uh, really interesting area of where farmers need different sources of capital. So uh, really fascinating conversation. And I really appreciate your time. As a, as a closeout, uh, I will ask if there is anything that we haven't talked about yet or anything you haven't mentioned that you feel like you, we should have discussed or you should have mentioned? Um, the only, as you see, I can talk better about my job than I can about, <laughs> about me, right? Most people can. Most people can. One thing, I guess, if we're tying in, you know, the, the military aspect, I also um, was a military spouse. And so um, my husband was uh, active duty military. And when I had the pleasure of deploying, he deployed six months right after me to another country. So, <laughs> so um, that is, I guess, something you can add in the bio. Um, but other than that, I'd say the, the biggest thing is we want veterans to enter the ag space. Um, you know, I'm always a resource. If anybody has any questions, even if they aren't in Alabama, um, I'm here to, to talk through uh, what we have available if needed. And, um, you know, farmers.gov is a great resource to give you information on all the different USDA agencies. I know USDA is, uh, people don't understand how big USDA is and how many agencies are under USDA. There's about 20 some odd agencies under USDA right. and we're just one piece of the puzzle. Right. And um, hopefully we're a piece of the puzzle that you'll stop by and visit because you can't get a farm number without the farm service agency. <laughs> Good point. I just, I got to know, Nicole, how, how did you handle both of you being gone and deployed? Did your parents or his parents come in and, and take care of the kids? How'd you guys do that? So thankfully we did not have kids at the time, okay. Um, okay. but it was, it was difficult. You know, when you come in from a deployment and you expect, you know, your loved ones to be there, and I had to wait six months. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. It, it was difficult. And then he was active duty and I was working with the USDA at the time. And I did leave the agency for about 18 months because um, they were unable to transfer me near him. And it was one of those situations when you talk about, you know, how do you balance everything? At that time, I'm like, you know, being with my husband who I've been away from, for a year and a half is more important than me having a job <laughs> at wow. this moment. So I did, um, I did resign from the agency. Um, and unfortunately at that time, there wasn't a lot of military spouse initiatives out there. 
since then they have changed a lot. Um, and then I came back to the agency in 2014 and been here ever since. Yeah, but that seems so serendipitous that you would have been able to get a job back at that same agency where you had really found a passion from after having made an intentional decision to step away from your family. I mean, it certainly feels like you're called to that profession, right? I, I, I know it is, you know, I mean, <laughs> even if I didn't want it to be, right. I, I know that this is, I, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. <laughs> wow. It seems to me that many of Nicole's career decisions were made based on this guiding principle of public service. From an initial interest in the medical field in the Army and multiple deployments and mobilizations, to being in direct support of a loan agency that is considered both the lender of first and last resort specifically for farmers. Oftentimes, in both the military and agriculture, those who were involved are impacted by factors outside of their control. I know it sounds cliche, but in those instances, it's nice to have a helping hand reach down and help get you back on your feet. And this appears to be where Nicole gets much of her purpose, working with the USDA. It also really stood out to me that Nicole's continued experience with the Army Reserves have helped her develop an ability to assimilate in a variety of cultures and farming communities and connect with people from many different walks of life and circumstances. She's learned empathy from her time in the medical profession, something that's evident in the way she talks about helping farmers when circumstances are tough. Even her ability to juggle the work-life balance is something we can all take a lesson from. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vets and Ag podcast brought to you by AGD Consulting. If you enjoyed this episode and think other military veterans and supporters would benefit from these insights and stories, please give us a review and share on social media. You can also find previous episodes and learn more about AGD Consulting by visiting our website. Finally, if you have any recommendations of future guests who are military veterans or supporters leading the way in agribusiness, ag tech, or agripreneurship, please send them our way. I'm your host, Mike Desau. And until next time, stay frosty.